G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In loving memory of Natalie Ward, who suddenly passed last weekend. Our thoughts and prayers are with the Ward family. This episode of Beenham Valley Road is brought to you by The Soap Bar. Full disclosure, I actually work there. I make the soap. It's a family business. And right now, we are in the factory recording this episode. They have been a tremendous support to us in this project, and really, there is no way we could bring you fortnightly episodes without their continued support. So if you're in the market for handmade natural soaps, bath bombs, scrubs, salts and creams, go to www.thesoapbar.com.au and get 20% off your purchase when you use the code BVR at checkout. We will put the details and the link in the show notes. Thanks, guys. This podcast talks about domestic violence, death, it contains adult themes and coarse language. If you need help or you are affected by such issues, you can contact your nearest help centre. Lifeline is 131114 or DV Connect 1800 811 811. Discretion is advised. The following interview is courtesy of the ABC Sunshine Coast. You might remember a couple of weeks ago I spoke to two former Gympie police officers, Tom Daunt and Jamie Pultz, about their podcast series, Beenham Valley Road. Now, it centres on the suspicious death of Woolvi woman Kira McLaughlin. Kira sustained serious injuries at her property in July 2014 and later passed away in hospital. Those injuries included serious head trauma and more than 100 bruises documented on her body. Despite her death being deemed suspicious, no charges have ever been laid against anyone. Kira's family have been calling for an inquest into her death ever since, and that call has now been heard. Peter Boyce is the Sunshine Coast lawyer representing Kira's family. I spoke with Peter Boyce just a short time ago and asked him how Kira's family is feeling at this news that a coronial inquest into, inquest into her death has been granted. Uh, yeah, good morning. Um, they are very happy that... Uh some action and some positive steps are now going to be taken in terms of a full inquiry as to the cause of death, which has been their main aim since she unfortunately passed on. 
Peter, I know that uh, the Courier-Mail has been uh, investigating and running stories on Kira's death in its true crime series and just recently, as I mentioned, uh, a couple of former police officers speaking to me about their true crime podcast, Beanham Valley Road, uh, which again looks at what may have happened there uh, around the investigation into Kira's death. How much do you think those different elements, uh, how much... uh, difference has that made in terms of uh, now an inquest being called for? Um, That's hard to say and and I I don't know that that's necessarily the catalyst because we've been in there for a long time on behalf of the family uh, asking for an inquest and making representations and we've had correspondence with the coroner's office where they've certainly doing some more work and um, I don't necessarily think it's uh, solely because of those matters, but let's put it this way, that can't have, can't have hurt us. Why do you believe it's taken so long for an inquest into Kira's death to uh, be granted? Um, I'm, not, I, I'm not able to say why, because we don't know. But at the end of the day, um, sometimes these matters take much longer than you would anticipate. And sometimes that's because the coroner gets the brief or the file from the police service and then they review it and then ask for further investigations or they go off and get experts' reports of their own to uh, satisfy or provide evidence to the coroner so that the coroner can then weigh up and make a decision about whether an inquest should be held or whether further investigation should be undertaken. How, what's your understanding, Peter, of the timeline now for when the inquest might get underway? Um, we don't have that because I think the coroner's office is still waiting on some more detail or some more evidence to be given to them. But the fact that the coroner has now said positively that there will be an inquest means that they're much further up the track than they were. So I'd anticipate we'll get notice in the next month or two as to when the inquest might be held. Kira's mum, Alison, has, as you mentioned, been calling for this inquest for a long time into her daughter's death. What is she hoping will come out of it? Um, There are many questions raised over the cause of death, the injuries that Kira has. Um, So we we want to at least be able, as a family and on behalf of the family, to have a look at precisely what evidence there is as to how a person could have so many injuries upon them and uh, no one being charged with any offences relating to it. It's early days, but um, I can tell you that that mum's overjoyed by the fact that there's an inquest. That's lawyer Peter Boyce, who's representing Kira McLaughlin's family. And as you heard there, mum overjoyed that uh, coronial inquest will now be held into her death. No uh, timeline to give you in that sense, but uh, a fantastic result uh, given that Kira passed away very sadly in July 2014. The family have been waiting for a long time to try and find some answers. To live in hearts we leave behind is not to die. Thomas Campbell. Much has changed since we spoke to you last. The good news? The Office of the Coroner has announced that an inquest will be launched into the suspicious death of Kira McLaughlin. 
It's at this point we feel we need to clear up a few technicalities around this case. For the next couple of episodes, we'll be erring on the side of caution. The announcement of the inquest means that there are certain things we cannot go into, and that's fine. The rules of the game have changed slightly, and that is the best case scenario. Because now that the office of the coroner has confirmed an inquest will be held, it is up to the professionals to do their duty and get to the bottom of this case once and for all. Jamie and I have been somewhat selfish in our endeavours to tell you this story. If you have listened to our other episodes of this series, or kept up to date with our blogs, you would know by now that we both left the police much different people to when we first were sworn in. Being given the opportunity to tell this story on behalf of Kira's family has provided a certain closure for us. And now that the proceedings have commenced to officially understand the cause of Kira's death, our faith in the power of advocacy has been somewhat restored. There are a few technicalities that we need to clarify before moving forward. This surrounds a somewhat cold, yet necessary administration that is involved in someone's death. In Queensland, Australia, someone does not necessarily have to be charged for a matter to be finalised. If police feel they have exhausted all of their avenues of inquiry, with little to no result, then a case can be deemed finalised, but marked as unsolved. This simply indicates that the police have done all they can to investigate, and for whatever reason have been unable to commence a prosecution against an individual. Now this is all very technical I know, but it's crucial to understand, particularly in relation to Kira. We told you from the start of this series that the story surrounding Kira's demise is complex. There are large gaps in information that are difficult to piece together. We've done the best we can to clarify this up along the way. As you have heard, we have spoken with people who were with Kira that night. We've also spoken with their friends and family. What they have told us, it's important to understand, is their opinions and recall of events. They are not official statements. When police investigate a suspicious death, they are obliged to collect as much evidence as possible. It may take them hours, days, weeks, months or years. Sometimes the evidence is collected. Someone is charged and faces court. But in other circumstances, this evidence points in a number of directions. While it is the responsibility of investigators to follow these leads... The evidence they have at hand may not be substantial enough to bring charges against a person. The outcome of Kira's case remains undetermined at this time. The purpose of an inquest is to examine the cause and circumstances of a person's death, not necessarily to determine the guilt of a party or parties involved. So to put it bluntly, there may not be one person responsible, or there may be multiple persons responsible for Kira's death, and this remains to be seen. During the week, we reached out to some of our former colleagues who, who were tasked with investigating Kira's death. Detective Sergeant Rob Lowry from Kimpy Police was unable to provide an official comment at this time, but assured us they were doing everything they could in relation to the matter. Jamie and I are not the ones to find the person or persons responsible. Our role is to tell Kira's story and to highlight the impact on the family and community when a person's death goes unanswered. I'm Tom Daunt. And I'm Jamie Poltz. This has been on Valley Road, Episode 5, Missing Pieces. Got myself a piece of heaven I'm gonna take you to the river I'm gonna build it a red freeway now Send it home As Tom said before, 
This story has always been about a forgotten death, but the next two people certainly haven't forgotten about it. We have heard people speak about Kira's last moments and her sudden, suspicious death. Recently, I caught up with two of Kira's closest friends. Jay and Julia are probably two of the most qualified people to talk about what Kira was like as a person. Julia now lives overseas and Jay out of state, so I had to catch up with them over the phone. Hello? Oh, hello. (laughs) How are you, Julia? Yes, hi, mate. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can, yes. So we have technology succeeded. Oh, excellent. Yeah, sometimes it can can be a nightmare sometimes. It just, it's very curious, if you ask me, why there's been nothing, um, why it's not been, no one's been charged, nothing's been done about it. Yeah, I know you don't uh, and do stuff like that, but, I, uh, you know, the fact that it's gone four and a bit years without anything happening is just, it's frustrating. Alison can't get closure. Um, it'll be hard for her kids as well. So they deserve answers. Yeah, she can't really move on. No. Um, well, I don't think she'll ever be able to move on, if I'm honest with you. Um, Alison adored Kira. Um, but it's at least getting answers for the kids and um, making sure it doesn't happen again, really. That's the... So I met Kira when I was around 10 years old. Um, I was in Scouts, and she was also in Scouts. She was in East Gosford Cub Group. Um, and I was in Bensville Cup group, and we went to gang show together. It was a big uh, gang show, was a scouting and guiding musical, and we went to it. And I ran into her, and she was just this warm, bubbly ten-year-old that just introduced herself and said, "Hi, my name's Kira. I believe we're going to." And at that stage, um, we would say that we're going to move to the area as well. So we were relocating. She's like, "I believe we're going to get to know each other. You're going to be in my cup group." Um, and she was just one of these people that went out of her way to make me feel special and welcomed. Um, and I remember that even now uh, from, you know, 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, that was wonderful. And then we ended up being at school together as well. So I'm in the same school and in the same cub group as well. And she, she had her own group of friends and I had my own group of friends, but we, she always looked out for me. She always made sure that I was okay. She was very protective, um, which was always something very sweet. So that was in year five. Um, and we were, we were very, very close from years five through to year 11, I would say, when we were about 17-ish. Um Particularly the younger years, we were, we were always we always got the bus together. Um, we did sleepovers, you know, all the general kids sort of stuff that you would do. Um, she was always warm. Um, I never knew anyone that didn't like her. Some people were a little bit intimidated by her, but that's just because she was she wore her heart on her sleeve. So she was always out there, always talking, always very loud. That often got her in trouble with the teachers. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she she was – she always stuck up for anyone that she thought was being unfairly – hello, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Sorry. Okay, cool. Sorry, my computer just went dark. Right. Um, sorry. Um, she always stuck up for everyone regardless of – regardless of you know she always she always went against the, the you know the class bullies and stuck up for stuck up against them and wasn't afraid to tell them off um 
So she was lovely like that. Yeah, so that was at East Cosford. So we went to East Cosford primary school together and then we went to Erin High School um, and then she ended up going to Greenpoint Christian. Um, I, I went and followed her actually for a year at Greenpoint Christian but I decided to go back to Erin High afterwards and she continued on at uh, to Greenpoint. So we would still see each other. She was only just down the road so whenever she wanted to get away from her parents she would come round and whenever I wanted to get away from my parents I would go round because um, that's basically your teenagers. <laughs> so you always want to get away from your parents at some time. Um, so we, we were only about a 15-minute walk from each other. So that was always lovely. But our relationship had many different variations over the years. Of, of best friend, we, we dated a little bit um, in our earlier sort of teens. And then... Um, That's Jay. He now lives in New South Wales and was one of Kira's best friends during high school. It became like a brother-sister family. Like I was very much a part of her family. Um, and still am, still am very much. Um, she was, she was a very caring, very giving person. She was, she was one of a kind, that girl, one of a kind. Yeah, definitely. No, as I said, yeah, as I was yeah, saying before that you go, uh, the, the podcast has, has been great. It's been great and enlightening for, for everything that's needed to come out. Um, and look, I, I won't deny like, and Alison's mentioned, I was like, Kira was feisty. Like she was, she was feisty and she was vivacious, but she was, she was charismatic and, and kind and funny and genuine. Like she was, as I said, one of a kind, like what you saw was what you got. Like it wasn't, there was no falsity to Kira, but she was passionate. So if she was in a situation or an environment and she was, uh, so, so I, again, the, the podcast, as I said, I think was great, but it, it was kind of, I would not say she was overly aggressive unless if the passion of the situation required it, if that makes sense. Um, um, if Like a ugh, mother, like I, I used to always, Again, knowing someone from such a young age and then watching them grow into a teenage girl, into an early 20s girl, into a mother, like it was interesting to watch her personality progressions and her change, but she loved her kids. She loved the idea of giving them a great life and, and seeing life again through them and enjoying life for them, like as, as you do with little kids. So, um, yeah, I just, it, I, she was a, Many people have said it to in comments and things on that she had sort of a smile that was like sunshine and in ga- like she was just a very charismatic, friendly, happy person. So it's, yeah, I want to make sure that she's sort of <laughs> known for, for what she was. We Like she was clumsy is probably my most other thing for her, was incredibly clumsy. The clumsiest person I've ever met. Clumsily covered in bruises and banged up toes and knocked off toenail and things because she was just clumsy. As I said, from from young, we spent a lot of afternoons after primary, like we'd go from primary school to her house or she'd come around to my house in the afternoon. We would just, but I, it got to a point where I'd always usually come to hers because like if Alison was working or, or something, again, in a sibling kind of relationship, we would go on adventures. Our friends all lived around. So we'd finish primary school and walk to friends' houses and then go home because, you know, we are blessed. We live in the generation that we could go and play and be home by the lights in the street being down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it was just, we spent, all that time together, pretty much. So, um, and then, as I said, family holidays. Like, uh, grandma took us up to Queensland. So it was she had to go up to work. To, to she used to go up and buy clothes. She had a clothes shop, and um, and took Kira up. But she'd go, well, I'll bring Jay because otherwise it's just Kira. So it's kind of again, we were siblingy. Like we got there and went to all the theme park together. So, um, yeah, it's lifelong friendship. So it was, it was we could talk to each other about anything and everything because it was we knew everything and everything about each other. 
here the house was smashed up. When we got to the house, there was fist marks through the walls everywhere. All the furniture was smashed, like it was just. Oh, so you went there? It was there. very clear. Yeah. So we, um, I was in, I was in Melbourne. So I got, um, I'm, I'm, my phone is always on silent. It's, I just, I'm one of those annoying people, and yeah. <laughs> so what, I'm like, I, know, I know them well. Yeah. Yes, because it's, um, I'm always in meetings, so you just always, so it just ends up living on silent. Um. But I woke up in the morning at Melbourne at about 7 o'clock to a missed call from Alison at 2 in the morning, and I went, instantly my gut was ill. Um, because the, the comment I made earlier was, was kind of one of the last things I said to Kieran in our last phone conversation was, what will it take for him to kill you, for you to leave the situation? And she went, Jay, you're being really dramatic, and I just wouldn't need to stop talking about it because um, you're making it bigger than what it is, so I'll talk to you later. And that was our last phone conversation. That was dead set the yeah. last phone call? Yeah. So it was very kind of hard to go. That was a harsh thing to say to your best friends for the last time for it to, to then be, be through. But when I saw the missed call from Alison, my, my stomach sunk. My, my partner was getting ready for work and I was like, oh my God, I listened to the voice message and went, um, so, sorry, no, I'd seen it and stuff and I listened to the voice message on the drive into work and went, um, instantly called my partner and was like, okay, this is, this is what happened. Rang Alison, was trying to get hold of it because obviously she was out doing stuff and then, um, we got straight onto a flight, so I, I got to work, tried my work, what happened when I need to go. So my, my partner and I um, put a flight up, landed up there straight away and just sort of hung with Alison at the airport, um, at the hospital. And um, then obviously when we went back up for the funeral, we went to the house and, no, because we would have seen the house before that, so it would have been when we were up there, we must have went to the house. So I saw the house all broken, all smashed, so... Um, yeah, it would be around. Yeah, we must have gone up when we came up from the hospital. But it was just visiting up. It was just hectic. It was just as it's such a blur again because it was to get that phone call to kind of go. She's in hospital and and it's not looking great. Um, it was just get up as quick as we could and and thank God my partner at the time because I was just on the phone. Alice and just we were just like this is not happening. Um, and he completely organised flight. and got everything sorted and met me at the airport and it was just all sorted. We jumped on and went up. So. It was just like punch holes all through the walls. Like it was just punch hole marks, um, red paint all through everywhere. Like it was just bits of red paint everywhere, which was just off-putting because it was obviously kind of remnants of something else. Um, so it just kind of had a kind of eerie feel to see such a, like, Akira always kept a night house. Um, she wasn't the tiniest person. <laughs> she never was from, from a young age. Um, and four kids is a bit of a handful, but it was to- like it was kept very well for... Pretty much single mum with with the four kids, but um. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
yeah, it was just to see it kind of smashed and, and damaged and paint and things. It's had an eerie kind of feel, like a really horrible feel to it. Did you see Kira at the hospital? I did, yeah. So we, we stayed in the hospital for the uh, for the whole time. So I was there with Alison. Um, again, being nearly like family, I, I think Alison would easily refer to me as her son, son in a degree. So it was we were just there for, for the whole time. So I sat next to her. Um, same same boat as I think Alison mentioned hers. We um we have our own little times and sit there and chat with her because Alison had told us as well that um essentially her nursing background and stuff. But if she still she can still potentially hear us, so it was good times to just kind of sit around with her and and kind of chat. <laughs> if that makes sense. But but also sad to see her laying there with a bruised, smashed up face and like it was just it was bizarre. And surreal. It was as it all just kind of happened. None of us really slept. It was just kind of sitting around, just talking. Going, this is surreal. Like this is not happening. It's and kind of expecting that she's going to wake up. Like we're just going, okay, um, well, something will happen and she'll come out. But so you didn't think yeah, she was going to? You didn't think she was going to die? No, it, it was it was very clear. Um, and Alison again, nursing background. She it was it was told to us that it was. That was what was happening. She was completely brain dead. So we, it was, it's just that it hadn't sunk in, in in that more sense of going, this can't be happening. She's got four kids and, and it's, uh, it's a, the kids, I think, got to, the kids shouldn't have to live without their mum. And and she was a, a good person. And again, not saying that there's bad people who deserve it. Like, it's, it's not that. Like, but she was, she was a great person. So it was just someone gone way too soon. It was up to Jay to pass the tragic news on to Kira's extended friendship group. He sent the following text to Julia. Uh, and it essentially was the very first message in December, uh, uh, July 2014. Hi, Julia. Very sad news. Kira has passed away. She has separated with her husband and has been seeing someone new for about nine months. She was brain dead on arrival Thursday afternoon from a serious injury to the back of the head was flown to Gold Coast Hospital. We got there yesterday and she has donated her organs to urgent requirement. For the funeral, I, I, I personally... And that's one of my biggest regrets, it's not making it for the funeral. I should have flown back. Um, I didn't, and, I, and I, to that day, I still regret it. Um, I really wish I'd been... Well, you were in London. Yeah, I was in London, but I doesn't... I, I feel horrible that I didn't do it, if I'm honest. So now you have heard from two of Kira's closest friends, but both of them can't help but think there are missing pieces to this puzzle. Like us, they have found it hard to match all the moving parts of Kira's situation leading up to her death together. Just before this episode aired, Genevieve, one of Kira's best friends growing up, reached out to me. This is my conversation with her. Again, Genevieve was worried that the public might perceive Kira in a bad light but she wanted people to know who she really was, the cure that Genevieve knew, the loving, loyal friend that Genevieve knew. So obviously my name's Genevieve and I was one of Kira's best friends um, when we were in high school together. So I met her in year nine. We both started school on the same day. Um, we, we actually hated each other when we first met each other because um, I think we were 
quite alike in some ways and so we sort of didn't really mesh that well and I remember her actually coming up to me once and saying I don't like you for these reasons and I turned around and I told her exactly the reasons that I didn't like her too and then the next day we were just best friends after that um and she was kind of she was really more than like a best friend to me she was like my sister and even my my little brother and my little sister say the same thing about her she was you know always at my house and always with our families and if we were doing something as a family my dad would be like do we need to pick her up or is she going to meet us there so she was just sort of you know part of the family like I remember one time I would have been in we would have been about 18 or 19 and I went down to Sydney with my family and Kira had stayed the night at our house and we got home um because we mum and dad had been like we're gonna get KFC for lunch tomorrow and it was you know really exciting because we didn't have our own money we couldn't buy it whenever we wanted. And we got home um, after, you know, we'd let Kira sleep at home and we got back and she was still there and she came out and she was like, so where's the KFC? Like that's just the kind of person, the way that she fit into my family. <laughs> Straight into it. Straight into it, yes. <laughs> yeah, she was great. And I remember, yeah, sorry. I was um, 15. So 15. what was that... Um... Was that at Greenpoint Christian College, was it? Yes, yes. Yep. Okay. And when was the last time you saw Kira? Um, I saw Kira. I would have been 22 or 23, I think. She was already living in Walvi. I think she had three of her kids by that point. Um, cause when, like when she married and when she moved away, I didn't get to talk to her as much as I, you know, would have liked to or as much as I used to before. But she came down one weekend. Um, she actually came down two weekends in a row and I spent, like, pretty much all Friday and Saturday night with her. And we went out and just, you know, did what young girls do. We had a really good time. So I remember it being around my birthday because she bought me a DVD of True Blood and she gave it to me opened and she was like, I'm really sorry, I couldn't help myself. But, yeah, so it would have been – I think I was 23 the last time that I saw Kira. So how would you describe her as a as a person, as a friend? Yeah, she was – Kira was – yeah, she was, like, the most loyal person that you ever met in your life. She – you know how people say um, she's the kind of person who'd do anything for you? She would literally do anything for you. And sometimes, even if you didn't want her to, she'd still do it. But she was just, like – she was – just funny she was cool like she was just a cool girl um she didn't really care what anybody thought about her um she was just she was she was just you know loud and out there she was always so full of life and she was really dry and really blunt so it could put people off if they didn't know her that well but um she like she had an absolute heart of gold and she was like a fantastic mom like just watching her the first time that I got to meet her son or sorry the second time I met her oldest son and I just you know saw the way that she looked at him and just being a mum like really changed her it made her kind of softer I think in a way but I could just tell like how much she loved him but yeah she was she was just Kira like I know it sounds really silly, but it's really hard to put into words what she was because she was just so many different things. And some of them 
were good and some of them were bad, but I mean, yeah. She, are we all? Sorry, yeah, we are, yeah. we are. I even said, like, at her memorial service, I was privileged enough to get to speak and, you know, I remember saying that when people die, you tend to focus on the good things and you don't think about the bad parts of them, but with Kira, she was just so herself that all the good things and the bad things were kind of indistinguishable because she was just never anybody but herself. Mm. So you didn't see her for a good a good four or five years. Yeah, I Is that right? I think three was, or four years. Yeah, it was about that. Like I used to, she would call me, and we'd you know constantly be in touch. I actually I spoke to her about two weeks before she passed away, so that was the last time I spoke to her. But um. You know, the last time I actually saw her was quite a while before she passed away. And did Kira ever share with you any hopes or futures or dreams or anything like that with you? You know, growing up, did she say she wanted to be something or yeah, she be wanted to be or... yeah, she wanted to be a firefighter. That was something that she'd always wanted to be. She also, when we were in high school, um, she wanted to be a mechanic. So she actually was it year ten. I think, or year 11, she spent one day being an apprentice mechanic, and it didn't last very long, but um, she wanted to be a mechanic. But then after that, she really wanted to be a firefighter. Yeah, that was her passion. And she always used to say, you know, um, if I ever, if she ever wanted to change her name, I don't know why, but she would call herself Jamie P. Sullivan after Sully from Monsters, Inc. So (laughs) I always thought that was quite a funny little thing about Kira. She was definitely a character. So is the only reason that you dropped out of contact with her, like physically, I know you spoke to her on the phone, yeah. but physically because you were up different states? Yeah, I lived in New South Wales, on the central coast um, where we both grew up. And when she moved to Walvi, I, that, yeah, that's that's literally the only reason that I didn't see her. Had you been to her house on Beenham Valley Road? No, I hadn't. I'd heard about it. So um, she came down to see us and we all went out with my group of school friends and she told us all about it and um, how excited her and her husband at the time were to buy this house. You know, she said as soon as she walked into the house, into the property, it felt like home and she was just like, she was literally so happy and so excited to be living in that place and she wanted to raise chickens and, you know, start a little farm and have whatever animals she could there. So she was she said to me that she loved, loved living in Walby and that she loved that house. And that's where her life ended too. It, yeah. Yes, it is where her life ended. So where were you when you got the phone call? or How did you find out that Kira had yeah, I, um, been hurt or died? I was actually at a baby shower um, for a really good friend of mine. Um, I'd had about five missed calls from... A friend of ours, um, Alison, didn't have my new mobile number. So she called um, a school friend of ours and I called them back because I thought, you know, it's strange that they... Uh, it's strange that I have five missed calls from this friend. And um, she said to me, I was, you know, she was like, oh, I've got something to tell you, but where are you? Are you with someone? I said, yeah, I'm at a baby shower. I've got a couple of friends here. And she was like, I, I can't tell you then it's not the right time and I said no like you called me and I need to know why you called and I, I didn't know it was Kira but I knew obviously it was something bad she just said that uh, that Kira was dead and I didn't I didn't really react I just sort of hung up and I went back into the 
into the room where the baby shower was and I sat down and I said to my friend, I, I have to go. And she said, what's wrong? And um, I, I don't really remember this, but she said I, I stopped breathing for a second and she kind of, um, she like grabbed my hands and she shook me and she said, what's wrong? And I you know, it just said, you know, my friend's died. So she was like, yeah, come on, let's go. And it was really, um, she drove me, so I was living on the Central Coast then and she drove me halfway to meet my parents and when my parents got out of the car my mum said I know you don't want to hear this I just have a really bad feeling but that um somebody did this to her I think that um somebody hurt her and then my friend said you know um I just had this bad feeling that it was her partner and these were two people who didn't know Kira they didn't I mean my mum knew Kira sorry my mum knew Kira but my friend that I was with, she didn't know Kira. They both just said, you know, I'm really sorry. I just have this bad feeling. And then um, the friend that had dropped me off, she actually called me when I got home because it had started, you know, it had started to be stories about unnamed, an unnamed female in Queensland who'd been beaten to death. And she said, I think that that just might be your friend. And then um, I went to see all my school friends that night. Um, we just, you know, sat around crying and thinking about Kira, and that's when they told me that that is what happened. Because my friend um, who'd called me to tell me that Kira died, she didn't want to tell me um, on the phone because she, you know, she found it really hard to find the words to say what had happened. It's, yeah, it's a horrible story. You just you hear about it happening, but you don't think that it's going to happen to someone that you love, and especially not someone like Kira. <laughs> Some, you know, someone so young, someone who's been such a huge, like a huge part of your life and that you really loved and that really loved you back. You just, you know, think it's going to happen to you. In an attempt to summarise the events, we have pieced together an approximate timeline. We feel that it's important at this stage of the series to start to bring together the events from the people we have heard from so far. Keep in mind, the information we have gathered is some five years after the actual event and may not be the same information provided to police at the time of Kira's death. The time leading up to Kira being taken by ambulance has not been verified and is based on the hearsay of the people we have spoken with so far. The time following Kira's collection by ambulance is pieced together from the autopsy, police report and hospital notes from both the Gympie Hospital and Gold Coast University Hospital. These were provided to us by Alison. So here's what we've got. As you may recall from our interviews with Tamika and Alison, on Wednesday, 16 July 2014, at a time unknown, Kira and Jason drive to Mount Tambourine to pick up Tamika. They continue on to Gympie, as described by Tamika, where Jason attends court for an unrelated matter. They then have lunch at a pub somewhere in Gympie, play pokies, and then proceed to go shopping with their winnings. Then they return to Kira's home at Beenham Valley Road. We know that Kira spoke with her ex-partner on her mobile at 6.49pm. This was to allow her to speak with her kids. We have been told that the altercation between Kira and Tamika occurred at around 8pm. At about 8.30pm, Allison confirmed that Kira's ex-partner replies to a message from Kira. The contents of the message we do not know as yet. At about this same time, Tamika tells us she is picked up by her mum from near Kira's house along with Jason, her niece and her daughter. As far as we know, Kira is now alone at home. At 8.47pm, Kira's ex-partner receives a call on the home phone from Kira. 
She is upset and crying and wants to speak with her kids. Kira calls her ex-partner again at 9.01pm. She is still upset. We are told the conversation centred around her anger with Jason and was blaming him for losing her children. The phone call ends at 9.27pm. The call is around 26 minutes in length. Jason's brother, who you are yet to hear from, tells us that he and Jason's other brother take Jason back to Kira's house sometime between 9.30pm and 11pm. He mentions that upon arriving at Kira's house, he saw Kira in the window opening the curtains and the dogs chasing something down the side of the house. Between this time and the next morning, we have no clear timeline of the events that took place. The only mention of this gap in time is in the Gympie Hospital notes, where it is mentioned that Kira's head injury occurred at around 3am. If this is correct, then the only people in the house at Beenham Valley Road when Kira suffers her head injury are Kira and Jason. That's to the best of our knowledge and based on what people have told us. Tamika's brother tells us that Jason calls him between 6am and 8am on the 17th of July. Kira was not okay. He recalls hearing moaning in the background as if she was in pain. He tells Jason to call an ambulance. He tells us after hanging up on his call, Jason then calls his mum. We do not know how long that call lasts or the contents of that call. We do know a call for an ambulance is not made until some five to six hours later. Jason reported to the police he woke at about 1.30pm on the 17th of July. Reportedly, he'd found Kira had urinated the bed, at which time he pulled her from the bed, showered her and laid her on a mattress in the lounge room. He then called for an ambulance, although it is not clear how soon after 1.30pm this occurred. Further, if Tamika's brother's timeline is correct, this would indicate Jason went back to sleep after Tamika's brother's phone call with Jason some five to six hours earlier, where Kira's heard moaning in pain. The ambulance arrived at Kira's home at 2.35pm. She was found to have a regular heart rate, normal blood pressure, and spontaneous respiration. She had a Glasgow coma score of six. This is commonly used scale to help gauge the severity of an acute brain injury and the level of consciousness of a person. So the lower the score, the worse the condition. Kira's Glasgow coma score deteriorated to a three while she was being transported to Gympie Hospital, when she arrived by ambulance at 3.23pm. As mentioned previously, she was then transferred to Gold Coast University Hospital by Careflight Helicopter due to a lack of CT scanning facilities at Gympie. She arrived at Gold Coast University Hospital at 11.03pm, where she underwent CT scans. She was subsequently declared brain dead, and the decision was made to donate her organs. At 4.25pm on the 18th of July... 2014, a forensic pathologist attended the intensive care unit of Gold Coast University Hospital for the preliminary examination of Kira's body prior to organ harvesting. On the 21st of July 2014 at 11.25am, the doctor performs the autopsy of Kira's body, the contents of which we summarised for you in episode 2. Kira's body is then re-examined on the 22nd of July 2014 with many of the injuries unchanged. The neuropathology report is compiled on the 5th of August 2014. You may have heard the trailer for this episode. We had a bloke named Sean on there talking about his relationship with Kira when he was 17. Due to the news of the inquest, we have decided to keep his interview for next episode. Hey guys, just letting you know, next Shakeout episode, we'll be doing a and a question and answer. So if you have a question for us, we'll try and answer it. You can submit your questions to our email, which is info at 
610mediagroup.com. That's 610 as in S-I-X, the number 10, mediagroup.com. Also our Facebook and Instagram. You can direct message us there. Don't forget to include where you're from. That'd be great. Thanks, guys. See ya. Benham Valley Road is a 610 Media production. This episode was written, recorded and produced by myself, Tom Dorn and Jamie Pultz. Audio engineering by Johnny Powell. Our theme song, Peace of Heaven, is by Pete Allen Music. You can find him in Apple Music, SoundCloud and all social media platforms. Our cover art photo was taken by Joel Pultz. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review Beanham Valley Road. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and also read our weekly blogs at 610mediagroup.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.